Welcome to the Pathway Church Podcast, where you'll find fresh messages uploaded weekly. Pathway Church is a Bible-based church located in Peterborough, Ontario, and we're on a mission to reach people far from God and see them become devoted followers of Jesus. We hope that what you hear today will help you to take one step closer to Jesus. Thanks so much for joining us, and if you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe. Well, this morning we are in the midst of a recap, and uh, so a year ago uh, we began a two-year generosity initiative, and last Sunday and this Sunday we're recapping some of the same content and material. Uh, Number one, as a reminder of what we're doing as a church family. Number two, as a way to celebrate what God is already doing. And thirdly, we really wanted to give an opportunity for, for those who are new to the church in the last year to partner with us and to understand what it is we're doing as we stretch our faith and giving as a church. Uh, if you're a guest with us, you can just relax. We're not, we're not looking for money. Even if you're a regular attender, there's no surprise offering at the end of my talk today or anything like that. So Devin, just take a breath. Uh, those cards that are on the seats, they're kind of randomly around the room. You can take those home, pray about them, look at them, and see perhaps if God would have you partner with us as we uh, work together as a church to attain a financial goal to save for the future. And so the theme of this whole stretch initiative that began a year ago and that we'll complete in the upcoming year is stretch. And we have this tent theme. You may be wondering where that's from. In Isaiah 54, um, God speaks to the nation of Israel. And he writes or speaks to them through the prophet Isaiah who writes these words uh, for us. In Isaiah 54, it says this, Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch your tent curtains wide. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cord. Strengthen your stakes. Now, you think to yourself, why are they living in tents? They're living in tents at this point in their history of the Jewish nation because enemies had come in, destroyed their cities, destroyed their homes. And God is encouraging his people saying, I am about to restore your cities. I'm about to restore your homes. Your children will grow up in safety. Isn't that something we all want? And God's like, I'm going to bless you. So here's what I want you to do while you're waiting. Start preparing. Stretch out what you presently have in preparation for what I'm about to do. So we're taking this stretch theme uh, because, as we've been saying, we believe God is calling us to stretch in the area of our faith and in the area of our giving. Uh, There were sort of two essential goals that we had as we kicked off this initiative. Number one was to raise the level of generosity within our church. So that means that the people of our church become more generous. And that's a win, regardless of whether they give here, whether they go to another church, it doesn't matter generosity is something that we can all grow in. Would you agree? In fact, this morning I had this, this youngster come up to me from Pathway Kids and say, oh, Pastor, can I talk to you for a second? I said, sure, of course. And he said, oh, I just want to let you know that I'm, I've, I've decided to contribute to the stretch campaign out of my, um, my chore money. And you know what I was thinking when I heard that? I wasn't thinking, woo, it's going to push us over the top. We're going to get to this number. No, it was nothing like that. My heart was encouraged. Because here is the next generation learning the value of generosity and being part of something that's bigger than yourself, and that's worth investing in. So I was super excited to hear that. Um, So we wanted to raise the level of generosity within our church. That means that all of us are stretching ourselves in the area of generosity to become more generous people. The second thing we were trying to do is by setting a goal of raising our giving for two years by 52%. That's a lot. And keeping in mind the fact that the people of our church just give free will gifts. There's, there's no commitments, there's no memberships, there's no requirements, there's no fees. People just give generously. And we said, hey, could we set this goal and raise our giving by 52%? It's a big deal. 
Our church has already responded, and we're well on our way, which is incredible. And what we wanted to do by raising the level of our giving was to set aside those additional funds, the extra, for a future home for our church. Now, you may not know this, but for the past nine years, Pathway Church has existed in rented facilities, both here at Rama and at our office space at Tallwood. And we've been blessed to be here. Rama's been a blessing to us. Um, they have allowed us to store our equipment and to use the facility for our youth group. And so we're certainly not uh, in a rush to get out of here, but we do know that as our church continues to grow, the needs of our church continue to grow, and there's this growing tension um, that we really do need a permanent home and facility that we can operate out of all week long. Uh, so much going on. So we're beginning to stretch in preparation for what we believe, the home that we believe God has for us. Those cards that you, you saw on the seats, that, that's just a tool that people were using to make commitments and to say, here's what we're going to do over the next two years. And so I'll explain more of that at the end. Uh, but that's what those are. So in order for us to accomplish this goal that we have as a church, um, it requires us to stretch. By the way, over here, I uh, have this board. I won't walk all the way over there, but um, this was the board that when people handed in their cards a year ago, we nailed a little tent peg into the bottom, and it's been pulled up with strings, and all the names of the individuals and families that pledged to be part of the process are there. Uh, it's my hope that one day when we do open our facility that that will be hanging somewhere uh, for all to see, just because it's easy to have something and forget what it costs to get it. You know what I'm talking about? It's a perfect day to talk about that. It's Remembrance Day, right? It's like, oh, we all have rights. We all have freedoms. I, you know, those belong to me, but we forget the price that was paid to get there. And so it will serve as a reminder for us as a church. So anyway, that's kind of what we're doing. And um, in order for us to accomplish our goal, it requires us to stretch. And as I said last Sunday, nobody likes stretching, right? Uh, what's the definition of stretch? Stretch means to reach or extend beyond your normal limits. See, the things you do every day, the normal things of life, they're easy because you do them repeatedly. But the moment you do something new, something that's beyond you, it's a stretch. If you have a job at your place of employment and all of a sudden you're moved into a management role and you've never led people, guess what? That's a stretch. It's going to be painful. It's going to be hard. But you're going to grow through the stretch. And that's exactly what happens. When we stretch beyond our current limits, what it does is it increases our capacity. You know, if I were to try to touch my toes, this is a, actually a stretch for the back of your hamstrings and your back. So as I'm stretching down, I begin to feel tightness in the back of my legs. How many love that stretch? Yeah. And, and you stretch down, and there's a point where it becomes uncomfortable, and that's where the stretch begins. And it's when I pass that point of comfortability, when I go past that point, all of a sudden the muscles start to stretch, capacity increases. And so... Um, last year when I shared this message, I had my daughter Nora come up, and uh, she just walks up and goes, boom, right down into the full splits. And, and I'll just tell you right now, I can't do that. Uh, if I tried to do that, you'd be calling, you'd be trying to find a new pastor, right? Because something would tear, all right? So if I wanted to increase my flexibility, what would I have to do? I'd have to stretch every day, and I don't because it's uncomfortable. And so we believe that God calls us as people out of our comfort zone. Not just in the area of, of giving and finances, but in every area, in leadership, in parenting, in love, in mercy. It's like, you know what? If you want to grow in mercy, show mercy to people. It'll be hard. Forgive some people that don't deserve it. And you'll be gritting your teeth going, this is really hard. But the more you do it, guess what happens? The greater your capacity becomes. Because that's exactly what stretching does. And so we believe that God is calling us beyond our limits in many ways. And as we respond in faith, we stretch. And as we stretch, we increase our capacity in whatever area God is calling us to stretch in. 
And I don't know about you, but there's always, a, there's always a gap between where I want to be and where I currently am, right? Like when I think about the kind of father I want to be, it's like way up here and here's where I am. And the only way to get from here to there is to continue to stretch day by day. Many years ago, my wife and I had our first child and we have four, but the first one seems to be the most memorable, probably because it was the biggest stretch. And I remember my wife was pregnant, we were ready to go and have this baby, and everything was about to change. We knew it was going to change, we just didn't really know how much, you know. So my wife had been stretching for months, you know, physically, but then they shoved a chocolate cigar in my mouth and went, congratulations, Dad. And my stretch happened in a moment, it was just like, oh my goodness, the realization that I am now responsible for another human being. But you know what happens over the years? At the beginning, my capacity as a parent was about yay big. Every little thing freaked me out. But over the years, four kids later, my capacity as a parent, it it hasn't achieved its maximum potential, but it's grown. Would you agree? And, And that's exactly how it works. As we stretch, as we move forward, we continue to grow and our capacity increases. So we have to stretch incrementally. We have to stretch little by little, day by day. It doesn't all happen in a moment. And so today what I want to do is I want to continue with the story of the Exodus, and we're just highlighting some key moments along the journey. You may be thinking to yourself, um, what's a 3,000-year-old story about the nation of Israel leaving Egypt and conquering a promised land? What does that have to do with 2019? What does that have to do with my life? What does that have to do with our church? What's an ancient story have to do with any of this? Well, here's something to think about. In all these years since the story of the Exodus was written down for us, Human nature hasn't changed. Culture might have changed. Technology has changed. Borders have changed. But human nature hasn't changed. I'll tell you something else that hasn't changed. The way that God works. Because God doesn't change. So people are still the same, inherently human. And God is still inherently God. And how he worked in their life and through this story is likely how he will work in your life. So we're drawing principles out that apply throughout every generation. Last week, we began by looking at how God calls a man by the name of Moses. And Moses meets God on a mountain, and God says to Moses, Hey, I've heard the cries of the people, my people, the descendants of Abraham. They're in Egypt, they're in slavery. He says, I've heard their cries, and I have come down to deliver them. God says, I have come to rescue them from Egyptian slavery, and he says, I'm going to bring them into a good land. Two things. God says, I'm going to save them from their bondage, they're in slavery. And then I'm going to take them and I'm going to give them a land. Moses must have thought to himself, oh, that's amazing. God is about to do something amazing. He just said he's come to do these two things. And we learned last Sunday that God says next to Moses, I'm sending you to do it. And of course, that's where the tension begins. Moses is like, whoa, I think it's great that you're going to do it, God. But God says, no, I'm going to use you. And he says, well, I... Nobody will listen to me. I've got, I'm just a shepherd. I, I'm not good at speaking. No one, there's no way that I can go and do this thing. And God's like, yep, I will do it through you. And a man in shepherd's clothing with a staff in his hand brought a nation to its knees with the help of God. And this is a principle. God will do his work in the world through his people. I don't know why the God of heaven, who is able to do whatever he wants, however he wants, chooses to use imperfect, broken people like you and me to accomplish his purpose. My guess is, and this is a guess, that when God invites us into the process and seeks to do his will through us, it causes us to stretch and grow and become more like him. That's, that's my guess. 
And so, so God says to Moses, I'm going to send you, and I'm going to do this through you. And so here's what happens. They leave Egypt. They, Moses walks out. Not a sword is raised. God delivers the people through Moses, and they leave Egypt. They go through a wilderness. They stop at a mountain. They receive the Ten Commandments. And then they're heading into this land that God had promised 400-plus years earlier to their great-great-great-great-grandfather Abraham. The land, modern-day Israel, he says, that, the land of Canaan, is yours. So they're standing at a river, the River Jordan, and they're looking across the river into this land that God had promised them. And that's where we're going to pick up the story. Here's what it says. Numbers 13, verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. Notice those words, I'm giving to the people of Israel. God says, send some guys to spy out the land. I'm about to give you this land. And I don't know about you, but if God says he's going to give me something, I'm thinking it's already mine. So, you know, we're just going to cross that river and we're going to find all the, all the homes and cities deserted. You know, everybody's left and there's like a little gift, you know, with the chocolate on the pillow and you just kind of walk in like, this is so amazing. God just gave us all this. And that's what I'd be expecting. And yet we know from Moses that when God says he's going to do something, how's he probably going to do it? Was anybody here last week? (laughs) Through us, through you, through me. That's how he's going to work, right? And so here they are looking at the land. God says, I'm about to give it to you. From each tribe of their fathers, you shall send a man, every one of them a chief. These are leaders who have been 12 tribes, divisions within the nation. A leader from each of the 12 tribes is going to go in, and they're going to go throughout the entire land of Canaan, and they're going to spy. They're going to do reconnaissance work, for those of you who like military terms. They're going to go in, they're going to make maps, charts, they're going to count how many soldiers, how big are the walls. They're going to look at all the situation so they can come back and bring all of the information back to Moses and Joshua. And so here's what, here's what he says. Send out the leaders. Verse 17, Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, go up to the Negev and go up to the hill country and see what the land is, whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, whether there be few or many, and whether the land they dwell in is good or bad, whether the cities that they dwell in are camps or strongholds, whether the land is rich or poor, whether there are trees in it or not. Be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. So off they go. Everybody's waiting in the wilderness while these 12 spies head into the land. And who knows, weeks, months, by the time they would travel all this journey. And eventually, they're going to come back and give a report. But they're sent out to gather information. Now, this always fascinated me. And part of the reason why is because when we talk about the subject of faith, people often think that faith is blind. And I don't know if that's a fair thing to say, that faith is blind. it's It's not this unknown thing that we put our faith in. It's a known thing. And faith isn't blind. And, and there were some churches that I attended growing up that were fantastic churches that taught a lot of great things, but they always seemed to indicate that faith was blind. In other words, it was like, if God told you to do something, you just run and do it, regardless of any of the information around it. You wouldn't study it. You wouldn't check it. It was just like, it was this emotional response. And so what that meant was it began to become this idea that an emotional response equals faith. Does that make sense? Or spontaneity equals faith. So if you were sitting in church and you felt something tug on your heart, you pull out your checkbook and you write a check and you're like, that's faith. And that can be faith. And God will ask us to move sometimes like that. 
But what we discover in Scripture is that oftentimes God called people to do things. And then in this case, God actually tells them to go and do the research ahead of time. So for example, I gave you an example of somebody giving, writing a $200 check because they're moved and they do it, and that's fantastic. But it is probably even more faith for someone to, to feel the prompting of God to be generous and to go home and say, okay, where are we at with our budget? How are we honoring God in this? And you begin to move around things and make sacrifices and prayerfully set yourself up to give continuously for years in advance. Now, some of you say, well, that's not faith. That's called a plan. That's the whole point. Throughout Scripture, God says, I want you to, in faith, create a plan that honors me. And what you're going to discover is that even though they come back and they see a negative report and there's obstacles, God's intention all the way along is that once they have all the information, that they move forward with a plan in faith in spite of it. It's always uh, amazed me sometimes at just how, how, quick we can, how quick we can dismiss the importance of planned faithfulness. Do you know what I'm talking about? Ladies, let me give you an example. I shared this in the first service. I don't know if it worked or not, but um, let's just say um, you're looking to date a guy, and there's two guys that are going to show up to court you. Um, you're going to date one guy one night, another guy the next night. Um, the first night, uh, bachelor number one shows up at your door. And he knocks on the door, and you say, oh, hello, and, and you know, you've been conversing by email. And so it's like, we're going we're gonna to go out on this date. And you're like, hey, where are we going? And he says, well, I don't know. Where do you want to go? Okay, well, let's, maybe we could try that. And so you kind of work it out, and you kind of go with the flow. And it's like, okay, that's fine. Going with the flow is okay, right? Everybody okay with that? The lady's like, no, it's not, it's not good at all. Uh, the next night, bachelor number two comes to the door, knocks on the door, you know, and, and he shows up with flowers. And you're like, oh, that's a nice gesture. But they're not just any flowers. They're your favorite flowers. And you're like, okay, wait a minute. This guy knows that I like that particular type of flower. And you inquire about it, kind of like, hey, how did you know I like those? And he says, well, you mentioned it in an email a couple weeks ago. And I thought you'd like it if I brought you some. And now you're going, okay, this guy, <laughs> this guy's got a plan. You know, this is good. And then you say, okay, what are we doing tonight? He says, oh, we're going we're gonna to go to this uh, particular restaurant. Is that okay with you? And you're like, your favorite restaurant. You're like, wait a minute, right? Like, how did you know I love this restaurant? Well, well, I, I chatted with a few of your friends, and they, they said this was your favorite place to go. You see what I'm saying? Now, this, how many women want bachelor number one? How many women would like bachelor number two? Okay, a few hands going up. Some of you are like, I'm married. I can't participate. Whatever. It's, a, it's an object lesson. It's an object. The point is, the point is sometimes, sometimes we, we feel as though Something emotional, something spontaneous is full of faith. That's the point. Sometimes we feel that way. But in actual fact, planning to move forward with the right information, trusting God in spite of the facts, is actually where faith resides. Okay? And, and that's extremely important. And I always found it fascinating. God doesn't say, um, just go in and rush in without gathering information. He actually says, go and scout out the land. And they do that. And you see this time and time again through Scripture. Um, the God of gathering information and being wise is important. So if you feel like God is telling you to start a charity or a business or start a ministry, what should you do? Inspect the land, do some reconnaissance, talk to wise people, look at the fun, can my family afford this? Does God want me to do it now or in six months? What strategies do I have to put in place to accomplish the very thing God said he would do through me? That's wisdom. And so many people forfeit what God wants to do in their life because they think that if God said it, it's just going to happen, and they don't have a plan, they don't have a strategy. Is this making any sense? I'm off track, but it's good stuff. 
All right. Verse 25. At the end of 40 days, they returned from spying out the land. And they came to Moses and Aaron, to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they brought back with them to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. I believe it was grapes. And they were so big and heavy, they had to put them on like rods. And so they're walking in with this fruit that represented the blessing of this land, how good it was that God had promised them. And they told him, we came to the land you sent us. It flows with milk and honey. What that means is it's a rich and vibrant land that is able to provide well for us. And this is its fruit. Can you imagine all the crowds have been waiting, waiting, waiting for these spies to return? And they come marching back with all of this fruit on display going, look how good the land is. People are like, yes, God said he's going to give it to us. This is amazing. They get a glimpse of the future that God has promised them. However, they say, but... I wanted to do a sermon series called Big Butts of the Bible, you know, <laughs> because it's amazing, right? You can tell somebody, you say, oh, I just think you're so amazing. You just did such a good job, but and the moment you say, but guess what happens? Everything you just said went out the window because they're listening to what comes next. They're like, yeah, the land is great. God's so going to give it to us. But however, however, let us tell you about what we found. And they continue with their report. They say the people who dwell in the land are strong. I shared this illustration a year ago, and I thought it would be worth sharing it with you again. You know, they're, they're outside. The promised land is here. They're outside in the wilderness, and they want to get here. But what they don't realize at the time is that God wants to bring them into the promise and do it incrementally, step by step, in a process. And so what do they do? They bring back a report, and they say, listen, there's armies. I got my kids to put this together for me. See, there are many people living in the land, and they're armed. And I know God said he was going to give it to us, but... This looks a little harder than we thought. They're probably not going to be like, oh, yes, take my house. And so they're like, there's armies, and they they bring that to the attention of the people. And then uh, they go on to say this. They say, uh, and the cities are fortified. They're not little tents. They are walled cities. My children built this. They got a little flag here. They got a guy with a crossbow. Um, And, you know, attacking in the ancient world, attacking a walled city puts you at a very great disadvantage. They're 30 foot up stone walls firing arrows at your head. And God's like, go take the city. It's like, okay, God. That sounds like a bad idea. There's armies, there's walled cities, and lastly, they save the best for last. They're like, and by the way, we saw the descendants of Anak there. You're like, who? The descendants of Anak were giants. They were very large, powerful, I assume men and women. But when you hear the story of David and Goliath, and you hear the story of a guy who's like 10 foot tall, six fingers, gruesome warrior, massive, everyone's afraid of him, that's a son of Anak. Okay? So they're like, there's, there's people with armies, there's walled cities, and then there's even giants in the land. So like, we know that God has promised us the land, we know we're here, and we need to go and take the land, but the obstacles are too big. Now... If you've ever read the rest of the story, then you know that this is what happens next. The people are scared. They don't trust God enough to take the next step. They turn back into the wilderness, and they will literally spend 40 years circling around in the desert until the entire generation dies there. And it's their children that end up under the leadership of Joshua, entering into the land, and one by one, taking city down, state down, giant down, And the children have to fight the battles that the parents were unwilling to fight. There's a whole sermon right there. What are we willing to sacrifice? What are we willing to do 
to pave the way for our children and the next generation, okay? But you can be sure that when the next generation showed up at the same river, looking at the same situation, they would have to, in spite of what they saw, in spite of the obstacles and the opposition, they took steps of faith. And guess what happened? God went with them, and they were victorious. Here's the thing. What I've discovered in my own life, I want God to do everything for me. I don't want him to do it through me, and I don't want him to do it with me. I want him to do it for me. I want him to get rid of all the obstacles so I can just... You know, run to the blessing and everything is just perfect. Well, how many of you know life doesn't work that way? And when God promises you that he'll bless your family, do you think there won't be obstacles in the way? Do you think there won't be steps you have to take? If God says that you can have a happy, healthy, loving marriage, do you think that comes easily? Nobody looking around, no hands going up. That's not the way it works. But unfortunately, sometimes people misunderstand the fact that God will always stretch us and grow us incrementally, step by step. It's a process. And even when the next generation went into the land, it took them seven years to conquer and acquire all the land that God had promised them. It didn't happen like that. In fact, nothing worth happening, nothing worth having ever happens like that. And sometimes people mistakenly think that because God has said you will have something, Or because God has said, this is what I want to do in your life, that it will just happen because he said it. But what we discovered throughout this story is that God will do it through us, and we're part of the process. And so people will say, God, I'm just praying for for a great marriage and all that stuff. And then I'll be, and they'll come to me and say, yeah, I thought it was all going to be great, and it's not going great. What should I do? And I'll say, here's a book to read. I don't read books. (laughs) You know? Things are going bad. We've been trying to figure it out for years. It's still not working. It's like, oh, have you been to counseling? Have you tried talking to someone else to to do the research, to figure out what the issues are so you can fix them? It's like, no, we don't do that. We got this on our own. Oh, really? God said it'll all work out. God said, oh, oh, our kids are going to be great. It's like, oh, do you spend time with them? (laughs) I don't have to do that. I prayed once. (laughs) You know? We take them to church. Isn't that enough? No. There are steps you take. And you take those steps, and they're not easy steps, but as you take those steps, you grow in your capacity. They grow, and God works in and through his people. And in the end, you look back, and you're like, wow, look what God did. But we're involved every single step of the way. Is this making sense? So this is the image. This is the the paradigm that we're looking at as we go through um, this story. And sometimes, like the nation of Israel, we can end up over here, and we're looking, and we're like, oh, I want my marriage to be here, but it's down here. And we look at the gap, and we see all the obstacles, right? In-laws. No, I'm just kidding. Um, you look at, you, my in-laws are great. I've been blessed. But some of you may not be. Uh, and so you've got, sometimes we're overwhelmed by the gap. You're like, I believe God's calling me to do this thing, and this thing is amazing, and it's this amazing thing God wants me to do, but I'm way down here, and it seems like I'll never be able to get there because of the obstacles that stand in the way. But here's how God always works. He asks us to take a step, and we take a step of faith, and it can be a small thing that seems insignificant, but it's a step, because when we step, even in a small thing beyond ourselves, and we see God come through, we go, oh my goodness, I can trust him. And you take a bigger step, and you go, oh, he came through. I can trust him. And the more you learn to trust him, the more you grow, the more your faith is strengthened, and your capacity increases in every area. Now, I'm going to talk about money just because this is a generosity initiative. And again, I'm talking about the steps of generosity. I've got five steps here, and every single person in this room, everybody watching on video, is, is along this, 
staircase somewhere. And we've got a number of things. The first one is an initial giver. It's amazing to think about this, but there are some people in our community, not in our church or in our city, that have never given money to an organization. I mean, they might have bought a chocolate bar, but then they kind of get something for it, you know. But they've never just written a check or done something truly generous. There are actually people who have never done that, who have never contributed to a charity, anything. And for that person, giving a gift is an initial step. And it's the first of many steps. You don't stop there. But there will be people who will give for the first time. And the question the person here is asking is, should I give something? And my guess is if I pulled the room and I said, how many of you want to be more generous? How many of you want to be a generational giver that impacts communities through your giving? Almost every hand would go up. Even the kids would be like, that sounds like a plan. But getting there requires a whole bunch of steps. It doesn't happen overnight. You have to start somewhere. You give something right? I've met people and they're like, hey, someday I'm going to be a millionaire. Someday I'm going to give half of my income away and I'm going to live on the other half because I'll have so much money and I'm just going to bless everybody in church and charities and everything. And I'm like, wow, that heart is so amazing. You want to be a generational giver that makes a difference? And like, yeah. And I'm like, how much do you give now? Oh, well, I don't give anything right now. You see the problem? They haven't taken any steps. Like, you don't get here unless you step through the steps. And so you have to do something, and so you start with an initial giver. The next is an occasional giver. This is somebody who has now made it a pattern to give on occasion, which means, hey, at the end of the month, there's extra money. I think I'm going to give that away. And that's a very, very good thing to do. Or you might sit in a service or go to an event, and you hear about a need somewhere in the world or in our community, and you go... I'm going to do something. And so you give emotionally towards it, and that's fantastic, and that's great, but it's occasional. And that's a great place to be, but you want to take a step to becoming a consistent giver. Now, a consistent giver is somebody, uh, sorry, an intentional giver is somebody who makes giving a priority. So this is somebody that's not just like, hey, when I'm moved or when there's extra, I'll give. This is somebody who actually sits down and by faith creates a budget to say, how can I honor God, how can I help others through what I have? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut this out of my life. I'm going to downgrade there so I can have more to give, and I'm going to give weekly, monthly, whatever. I'm going to do something consistently with a plan. That's, that's powerful. When you get a group of people doing that, things begin to move. Next, you have the sacrificial giver. This is somebody who's asking the question, how can I give more? People who have been here realize the joy of giving and the blessing of giving, and they start to say, how can we do more? And they start looking around at ways that they can do more to help other people. And they begin to ask, how can I do more than what I'm already doing? Lastly, we have the generational giver. This is somebody who wants to make a massive impact on a community, on a city, and on the world through their generosity. And this person asks, how can I inspire a community or generation using my stuff? There are people who've given away houses, cars, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars, and they do so not because they just think it's fun, but because they, they believe that they can make an impact through their generosity, and they live their lives that way. It would be amazing if every person in this room was here. <laughs> Chances are we're all over the board. Would you agree? And what I would say to you today is that our goal when we started this campaign was never to be like, oh, you've never given before? Well, give us a car. No. Just do something. Stretch your faith as the Lord leads you. And whether you give it to us or you give it to some other church or charity, it's not even the point. The point is that you're growing in generosity. And so you take a step. And then when you get there, uh, I believe that you're going to experience the blessing of God so you can take another step. 
And, and the goal was that as we started this campaign, if all of us took a step to the next level, that we'd reach our goal. And I believe we're on track to do that, which is amazing. But it requires us to continue to take steps of generosity. Now, I'm talking about money, but this works in every area of your life. If you struggle with forgiveness, you know, maybe you're really good at giving money. You give a lot of stuff away, but you can't forgive. You start right here. You forgive, even though it hurts, and you stretch. And once you do that a few times, what happens to your capacity in the area of forgiveness? It grows. And then you can begin to forgive more. If you want to love and serve other people, <laughs> I'm going to donate 40 hours of my week. I'm going to volunteer. I'm going to be the best volunteer this church ever had. Where are you volunteering? Nowhere. Just, just start. Just like work on the welcome team. Jump in the cafe. Just start helping somewhere. Start contributing something and just see what God does and grow. This is the process. Step by step, God grows our faith. He stretches us from where we are to where he wants us to be. So, uh, a year ago, we asked everyone to take a step, and just over 80% of our church donors all took a step in some way, filled out a card. And as I said last week, uh, our goal was to increase our giving by 52%. Uh, we're slightly under that, the percentage-wise, and our, our second goal was to raise 600000 and we're ahead of schedule on that, which is exciting. And I announced last week that of that 600000 we were trying to raise over two years, we're already over $400,000, which is incredible. Uh, because of the generosity of people giving gifts and upping their giving and all of that stuff. So it's exciting to see that we're moving in the right direction because of the faithfulness of people willing to take a step. So I want to encourage you not to become tired or weary, but to continue to stretch in this area. Um, I want to take a few moments, um, let's kind of wrap things up today, to talk about the kind of facility we're looking for. As I've been talking to individuals about it, people come and chat with me, I've been saying three things about the kind of facility we're looking for. The first one may surprise you. Moderate size. Moderate size. Over the years, people have come to me and said, won't it be amazing someday when we have our building and it's 700 seats? And all of us can meet in, you know, in one room together. And I think to myself, that would be amazing. How, who thinks it would be cool, wouldn't it, to have our whole church in one room worshiping together? That would be awesome. The problem with that, for us, is that having an auditorium with six or 700 seats means three acres of paved parking 